from man's sweat and God's love, beer came into the world. Amen. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast, strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Go to Hell podcast on your podcast app of choice. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how's it going? It's going. It's it's a nice stormy night out here in our neck of the woods. Um, Yes, Kansas from... Wizard of Oz. Yeah, there's tumbleweeds all over the place. Um, and so, we are recording on February 21st. This will probably drop in two or three weeks, but we're recording on a February 21st, and it's unbelievably windy. Yeah, it's just that time of the year for uh, anybody that lives in California. You get like these windy times. You This one seems a bit early, so maybe it's not exactly there. We have two um, pressure systems that go through our area or just California where you have the Alaskan low pressure system and the Alaskan high pressure or the Alaskan low pressure system and the Hawaiian high uh, pressure system. And so we get to be in the little like intermix. And so when they go to war with each other to decide which one's taken over for summer um, or the late or the spring, we get a lot of winds and it's the same thing at some point during the fall, we get some crazy winds around here. Nothing, Nothing hurricane-esque or anything like that, but enough to, like, make the power, like, <laughs> flicker and turn off, like, televisions and stuff. Are we even still recording? We're recording. Oh, okay. I was about to say. No, the all powers this, of laptops. I was, like, amazing. Because I literally, as I said that, the uh, the power just Browned out for about a second. So, yep. And we're recording on Ash Wednesday Eve. Ash Wednesday Eve. We're going to get drunk tonight because... We gotta abstain for the next forty days. <laughs> That's a joke. That's not, not happening. Gonna. We're not gonna get drunk and we're not gonna abstain. Sitting here, drinking beer, talking guys, drinking beer, killing time, living life with some down home friends. We are definitely gonna drink for but the next But we are days. drinking a Dust Bowl. And if you've been following us from the beginning, then you know we love Dust Bowl. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We love Dust Bowl. It's one of our favorites. Uh, Apparently, it just won Brewery of the Year, according to our friend, for, what was it, California? Which basically means America, which basically means the world, because all the great breweries are in in California. So Dust Bowl is uh, King Brewery of the World. 2021, 2022, whatever the year it was. Some Belgians are going to come and punch you in the throat. Uh, Some Belgians and Germans are going to come over here and punch you in the throat. I don't care. Uh, All their good, their military is only good for doing haircuts. Yeah, our friend Roke said that. Probably should have looked it up before we started recording. But we are drinking the Liquid Confessional Double IPA. Uh, Colton, that was a good poll that you said this was probably for uh, Lent. It's great. It's got a nice little hop with angel wings and a halo over it. I don't necessarily understand what the other things are in the background. They look like rings. Yeah, I don't know. But it's fun. It's cool. Um, it's a nice little double IPA. Tasty. It's a can of trouble is what it is. 
Yeah. Uh, Coming in at a nice 9.0 even ABV. So. Yeah. All right. So tonight we have... We don't have a main topic. We've got a kind of a mix of cleanups and hot topics and cleanup on aisle fives. And even then, I think we'll probably go close to two hours. So let's see. What do we start with? Whatever we want. It's our podcast, and we can do whatever the hell we want. All right, let's do a cleanup on aisle five. You got to say for yourself this time. You gotta clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle five. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle seven. Clean up on aisle seven. Clean up in all the aisles. It's not really, we're not cleaning up a mess, but on the we can do better episodes where we were reading from BuzzFeed. We talked, we concluded episode two uh, by dealing with a question that was dealing with uh, someone who needed therapy, see someone for mental illness or depression. Yeah. And we spent a lot of time on that, and it was important we did. My wife pointed out when she was listening to it that we needed to talk about another aspect of therapy because we what we focused on and i think it was just mainly because well to be honest that was the question you colton have personal experience with this part of it we we focused mainly on the chemical imbalance or just the no we focus on that we focus on the chemical imbalance and that was our main point but there's significantly other or there's just a lot of yeah. different stuff that we could be talking about so that. other so there's a whole other side and and i'm actually i'm glad my wife brought it up because the i think this is the a side that the church has been even worse at handling particularly because i do think this is an area where pastors probably get involved and they're not really trained to deal with it uh in in defensive pastors i'll say and this kind of goes along with the chemical thing as well the the defense of the church and pastors that we didn't talk about but i think needs to be mentioned is there's a lot of aspects of science that talks as if we have things figured out would you agree we largely have a lot of things figured out we have particularly when it comes to the human body yeah i think that a lot of people i just that comes in a lot of areas, not just in science, but for a majority of, I'd say, even just the human population, we believe that we know it all, and then there are a very select few that are trying to be progressive. Um, and but so, in terms of understanding how the body works and all this kind of stuff, we've yeah, we've got that. We've that's something we've kind of conquered. Yeah, we've which dealt is with not this, true. Uh, yeah, no, I think that there are, and that's particularly not true when it comes to the mind. Yeah, it's we have significantly not true. Basically, what uh, we have Jung and Freud. Freud, man, folks right. listening to this, I've barely had any beer. I'm, my brain's not functioning because of not too much beer. We've had Jung and Freud for basically about a hundred years, roughly, kicking off the understanding of the brain and giving some kind of insight as to how the human psyche might work. 
Yeah, and even now, like you know, there's uh, there's still lots of cognitive. Well, that's psych- my point. Psychologists and psychiatrists that are trying to understand the brain on, and even just the lack of knowledge that we have just about subconsciousness is baffling. Right. So like, we've barely scratched the surface on right the human mind, the brain, and that kind of thing. This is still the un- largely uncharted territory when it comes to medicine, and so. It stands to reason that pastors aren't really well-equipped to deal with it. Now, as we talked about last week, pastors need to understand that they're not well-equipped to deal with it and don't just rest on, let's read the Bible or pray to God, or pray to God and let him heal you or whatever. So, all that said, besides the chemical aspect of it and the anxiety and those kind of issues... One of the things that they are just now starting to deal with is on how to deal with trauma, specifically PTSD. But even if you don't have PTSD specifically diagnosed, trauma is a big problem. It's always been a big problem. And I think it's one way it's been a problem. It informs, well, so we had we had the one, we had the one question at the end of the BuzzFeed questions that dealt with the chemical imbalance. But I think where this ties in as well is the question that you and I kind of struggled to deal with because there's no answers. There's no answers. There's no like, yeah, it, it was just a terrible situation, which was the young girl who grew up in a terrible home and clearly had trauma. And what are you going to do? Tell someone, you know, I, I understand after going that through that kind of trauma, why you would not have much faith in some sort of loving God. Yeah. That said, if that person walked into a church and wasn't seeking therapy, the best thing that the church and its pastor would do is not insist, but try to get that person into therapy. Because, we're again, what we're finding out is there... Well, my wife asked specifically, because she's she underwent it a couple years ago. There's a new technique called EMDR... It is, I look it up, I'm not going to do a very good job explaining it, but it's this uh, technique that therapists are now using, counselors are using to try to get you to dig down deep into your memory, basically find repressed memories and unlock those memories. And you're not making those memories go away. On the contrary, you're actually finally unlocking them these memories that you probably subconsciously had and didn't know they were there, but your mind did, your mind does, and again, subconsciously, your mind has that trauma informing itself when it's making decisions, when it's behaving, when it's lashing out at people, when it's being overly defensive. You know, it is informing your behavior without you even knowing it, and what the therapy should have my wife on to talk about it in another episode, but it's to bring it out so that you're aware of it. And then now to try to deal with those memories. Yeah. Either. And a lot of it is dealing with those, with those memories in order to forgive and also create boundaries, which is, I think another thing we didn't talk about last week. Cause again, we were talking about a chemical thing. We weren't talking really about behavioral, therapy, P- uh, PTSD, trauma, that kind of thing. It seemed a common 
misconception either by the average churchgoer because they were inferring something that wasn't being said or pastors were implying something that shouldn't have been said that a lot of Christians went around thinking they were supposed to be everyone's stool pigeon and take crap from people. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, turn the other cheek. And it's only recently, in my experience, if you're listening to this and you have a different experience, then God bless you. It's only been recently in my experience that that pastors have been doing a much better job saying, this is what forgiveness looks like. That doesn't mean you don't create boundaries. That doesn't mean you actually separate yourself physically from that person and not engage with them. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to engage with that person. Right. And I think that that's healthy, I think, for most people. But, and maybe you've had a terrible experience and maybe you've had pastors that have led you astray on that. Uh, we need to redefine or just relook at what forgiveness is um, and what is expected of us. And also understanding that forgiveness is good for our souls. Um, it's good to release that pressure of harboring feelings towards people, um, those types of things. That is what forgiveness is ultimately about for us. Um, as far as when we encounter other people, it's it's really about belief. And so you can use that for yourself, right? Because we always want to make things about ourselves and our worlds and that kind of stuff. But there is a huge benefit to forgiveness. And again, forgiveness isn't making what they did right. It's just acknowledging that that's what they did and you are able to move on from it. Um, it doesn't, and you, where you choose to move on from that is completely up to you and how you now have to navigate it. It means that you're no longer going to hold it against them, but you have now learned a lesson from them, right? Like if they have sat there and they've abused you and you sit there and you say, okay, I'm no longer going to hold on to that. It's, I'm not going to use it against you, but I will have boundaries now as far as our relationship. I'm going to, you know, um, we're not going to see each other as often or we're not going to be the same type of friends that we once were because that's just what's safe for me. It's not that you are holding that over their heads or anything like that or you hold some grudge or anything. It's just, nope, I've learned my lesson and so therefore this is where I'm at. That is perfectly within the realm of forgiveness and understanding that is important. And for us as Christians, we oftentimes when it comes to just kind of progressive movements, we are very slow. Um, we do think a lot of the time that we know everything um, that there is to know and that there's no way to learn more, right? The Bible's been around for 2,000 years. There's nothing else that needs to be added on. There's no additional thoughts to be take. My pastor is preaching straight up. 100% the word of God every single week. And if it was good 2000 years ago, it's still good today. And so that's where we get a couple of our problems where we don't really progress and we don't really move forward into this kind of kingdom building mindset because we're so fixated on keeping things a certain way and not being experimental and, and not progressing forward. I completely understand if anybody is skeptical or anything on those ends, that's fine. Um, but don't get in the way of other people that are not as intimidated, right? This isn't palm readers and witchcraft in the back room. You know, this isn't tarot cards or anything like that. This is 
people doing research trying to understand how to help people, um, which ultimately is good, believe it or not. Um, if people are trying to help people and to help them be successful and it's not causing harm to other people, then let them work their jobs and let them be progressive as they wish to be. That's what I would say. Perfect. I don't think we need to expand on it anymore. Sweet. Other than if you're listening to this and you have issues and prayer isn't doing it, reading your Bible is not doing it, by all means, go reach out to a counselor. Jesus and God gave us doctors for a reason. So they're, they're, they're meant to help. So reach out, accept their help, get them through whatever you're going through. All right, item number two. We've spent two episodes for like a brief amount of time. You ambushed me with a question, which I say funny because I'm need... ambushing you with stuff all the time. Do I need you to... hit me up with a question. Do I need to give background on this again? Yeah, go ahead and give background. Cut. So we're not going to give the whole Tesla story all over again because people will think I'm crazy. <laughs> I don't know why it's, you think people think you're crazy because you're just a lo- a quiet. In quiet, is that? Yeah, that's what psychotic people feel. <laughs> no, that's what people who meditate or pray do. Uh, ah, that's true. That's true. That is my meditation time. Uh, so the concept is, when it comes to my profession, which is I'm an English teacher. I teach high school English. There's an observation that I simply made of countless people that come in and out of my classroom. Um, and something that you can find out actually about people in the United States is and on a regular basis is that students when they come into my classrooms are reading at about somewhere in the ballpark of about a second to a third grade reading level. Um, that's a ninth grader reading at about a second to third. Uh, there's multiple different causes for that in our, in our area where we live. There's not a huge value on education. We also have a lot of English language learners in our area and so that makes it difficult for teachers to be able to differentiate instruction to to get the highest of the highs and get the lowest of the lows um, because our emphasis is more on the lowest of the lows um, as far as the learning goes, getting them the support that they need so that way they can catch up. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what it does is it lowers the expectations and it lowers the standards to help them make it more achievable. And so those are the realities. Um, we do our best as educators to make sure that that doesn't happen, but that's just it's just a natural effect of targeting that for a long period of time. And don't get me wrong. That's not all of us in the profession are fully prepared for that. That's or, and especially in this area, uh, we would definitely say that those low students are the people that we need to be reaching and that kind of stuff. Um, it's just, I'm speaking to those honors parents that are like, why isn't my kid? I, I don't teach honors, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but you're looking at about a seven to, second to third grade reading level. Most uh, high schoolers, when they enter, um, end up with about a fifth grade reading, le- reading level. And by the time that they leave high school, they're not any better. And most of the United States as a whole is reading at about a fifth grade reading level. And most of 
even if you were an avid reader, okay, like me, I read fairly regularly. Uh, my younger sister reads fairly regularly. We have lots of people that read fairly regularly that we know and that kind of stuff. Even if that is something that you are doing on a regular basis, most of the things that you read or that you read for enjoyment are not going to hit high reading levels. You're not looking at 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. You're still only looking at about 6th, 7th maybe um, at the highest for any of those like fantasy, sci-fi, genre type books that are so appealing or even fictional books. Those don't get you high in those regards. You would really need to start reading a lot more denser non-fictional pieces to be able to get you to that vocabulary and extensive understanding of, of those types of things and or enough to understand what it is that you're reading because you've gotten exposure to it. Most of our typical conversational English that exists on a regular basis is held at about the fifth grade reading level. Most articles, and I say most, like 98% of articles that you read from ESPN, the, the New York Times, Fox News, CNN, wherever it is that you are reading articles from, those are at a fifth grade reading level. Whenever, like I said, the books, those types of books or genres, uh, whenever you have news presented to you, whenever you have that, those words that they're using, even if sometimes you're like, ooh, that's a big word. It's really not. It's like big for what's usual for you. Um, and so it comes out to roughly around an average fifth grade reading level. And so that is where we all pretty much live. Um, is somewhere in that realm. Um, maybe some of us have higher educated friends and so we have a slightly higher educational or hi higher vernacular, I guess, than the average person, but that we're, we're going to assume that the majority of the population is sitting there. And then we have the Bible, which is not at a fifth grade reading level. I was like, you can make claims that maybe the book of Genesis might be because you have this really easy narrative storyline. You could possibly make the claim about the four gospels, but then everything else pretty much, uh, maybe the book is, uh, you know, like Sam, Samuel, Chronicles, Kings, those easy ones that we like give to like elementary school students. And the reason why we <laughs> give them to them is because those you are able to read on your own because those are fairly straightforward narrative stories. But then the bulk of the Bible then is now looking at something that is significantly more complex than people actually realize. But yet, every single Sunday that you go to church, your pastor will encourage you to read the Bible. But you don't have the skills or the capabilities to read it. You don't. No matter how much they gave you in high school, the skills that they have prepared you for are you are not well equipped. I mean, maybe in high school they did well equip you, but it's been 10 years since you took that high school class. And so you don't really remember all of your English teacher's teachings. And so therefore you don't know how to read at that level. And so that can cause immense amount of problems because you are misinterpreting scripture and not really understanding what is going on in the text. And then you get asked to lead like a Bible study group or you get asked to do whatever. And not that this is a problem. Listen, this is what the majority of the United States faces. I'm saying that as a solution moving forward is that we should get educated first on how to read the Bible and then read the Bible. And this is what I think it would be awesome is if 
churches started teaching people how to read the Bible. Because I think that it's extremely important for us to get a basic understanding of how it is that we're supposed to read this text. And uh, when we first talked about this, we recommended a book for you to read. This is a textbook that they give out in college um, at the two universities that I went to where, we, where I took Bible classes. And it's How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Great book for anybody to read. Because again, it's going to tell you, hey, this is how you read this from an exegetical perspective, which means that you don't read it from a faith perspective. And I'm currently reading a book where it's talking about how you should view the Bible as a historical text, not as a spiritual text. You should view it as a historical text because that is going to allow you to understand a lot of the shortcomings that the Bible has and hopefully eventually get more out of it. But I know some of you already are like, what did he, what? There's shortcomings in the Bible? What? I'm just saying. So yeah, does that cover our... That lays down the predicate. Okay. And we're going to flesh this out. I'm so glad I'm so prepared for this conversation. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. I'm not saying... I, I have a few thoughts, but... Okay, okay. I think this... I'm hoping this is the start of something. Oh, okay. So we had our cigar club on... Colton and I were at our men's cigar club meets once a month on Saturday, and this came up. In the course of that conversation, uh, I think you had left to go get food or something. It it was pointed out by somebody that that level they knew of the fifth grade level, and they claimed that that they had read that that is now a fourth grade level. Yeah, which doesn't surprise me because we've had so much immigration in the last forty or fifty years, and don't take that as anti-immigrant. It's just a fact when you inject that many people into a system. In a system that requires mandatory education, you're going to cr- it's going to make the system difficult. It might be it's there's other reasons for it as well. Increased television use, certainly digital technology that encourages short bursts. So there's a lot of reasons for it, but it can't be taken off the t- taken off the list that we've also had just a profound amount of people come through the system, and if those folks are adults. They're never so it's just anyway. Neither here nor there. Somewhere at a fourth or fifth grade reading level. And everyone heard this and thought it was an interesting point. So before we go any further, because I don't want anyone to mishear what we're saying, I think you've already made it fairly clear, but let's just be very clear about it. Would you agree that reading the Bible is essential to the Christian life in, in some way? Yes. Is reading the entire Bible essential? I would say... Is reading the entire... Can one be a Christian and not read the Bible and just stay a... What we would, in Christian circles, if you're not a Christian, this is going to sound insulting, but stay a infant Christian, a... You're not... There's not going to be much depth. You're not going to get any more out of than what you have. Yeah, I mean, like, this is where I wouldn't put this as, like, a dogmatic thing where you need to read the scripture. Like, you need to have read it from cover to cover in order enough to be classified as a Christian. Like, Okay, let's stop right there because that what you just said is interesting. Let's take before we, before we definitively answer this question about reading the Bible. The Bible as we know it was created 300 years after Christ's death, roughly, correct? 
Yeah, that's what so we So for the church yeah. somehow functioned, not only functioned, but exploded to the point where 300 years later, it had pretty much injected itself fully into the Western culture, the Roman Empire. So Christianity was able to thrive without a Bible. Yeah, they would have had the Septuagint, um, and they would have had... Well, let's... Oh, okay, sorry. We'll, we'll get there. Am I spoiling? But but we didn't but we didn't have a Bible. We did not have written documentation of Jesus's like we didn't have we didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We didn't have the New Testament. Yeah, we didn't have the New Testament. You might have had one of the letters at the churches if you went to one of the churches that Paul was at. Okay, so that's the first three hundred years. Printing press isn't invented for another twelve hundred years. 14, 12, 1300 years. So in that time, we get to not only whatever point Christianity was in 300 AD, by the printing press, the church is basically running Western society. It is choosing kings. It is, uh, it's involved in all kinds of intrigue. It is running the world or part of it. Mm -hmm. Then this printing press comes along. So up until that point, people weren't reading their Bible. Now, it would be unfair to say that they didn't know it because it was being digested to them verbally in mass. Yeah. Via the mass, not in mass like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, via the, by going to mass. So then the printing press comes along. But even then, you know, print the printing presses cost a lot of money. And even into the 1700s, you know, you had to have some money in order to have a printing press. And you weren't printing entire Bibles. If you had a printing press, you were probably printing pamphlets because it's too expensive. So I don't. I didn't look it up. I would imagine that what's the Tyndale Bibles is the first modern Bible. That's sure. probably somewhere in the eighteen hundreds. Sure. Christianity functioned and grew without everyone. Everyone the the democratization of being able to read one's Bible. Sure. But then we're also missing another thing that makes it go even further than the printing press. Do tell. Public education. Then we get to public education, which only comes around in the early 1900s. So you would have had to rely on the fact that Ma and Pa taught you how to read in order enough for you to be able... And that's assuming that Ma and Pa knew how to read. And not that I'm saying like... Public education is this amazing. Actually, I'm like making the claim that this is just how f far along it was. So for right now, for pastors to sit there and say, go out and read your Bible, that's a blemish on the entire <laughs> universal <laughs> universal literacy is only a a tiny speck in the dawn of history. Yeah. A hundred years ago, no pastor was telling you to go home and read your Bible because he knew that his entire congregation couldn't but go home yet, and read But yet, today, <laughs> it is deemed as indispensable as getting baptized. Yeah. Go home, read your Bible. You're not okay. Good, you're not a good Christian if you don't. So I'm not, uh, at this point, I'm not making any judgments or conclusions, but right. we're fleshing this out. So everyone really starts thinking through what one assumes, particularly as a... American evangelical. Now, okay, I'll stop right there. I can, I could, I could see someone arguing that the Holy Spirit changes 
and the Holy Spirit met people where they needed them more before there was a Bible. And now, you know, I, I could see that. Our, I can, like, literally see it being made by certain people. I will be, leave theologians and whatnot. I will leave unnamed so that I'm not deemed picking on people. But now that we live in the 21st century and we have Bible and Bibles are everywhere, it's the most printed book everywhere, that the Holy Spirit is now manifesting itself primarily through the Bible. Yeah. And... My, and I don't want to get off track from where we are. I'm just saying that, and I don't think it's off track, but I don't want to get jump ahead too much on this conversation. It's just, I think that we, where we are now is we are in an informational age. We are able to access information at any given time, at all times. You can know what's happening around the world at any given second. Um, there's things that people don't want you to know, but you know, because you could look it up in two seconds, right? Um, and it's an awesome, amazing time to be alive. And so we believe right now that information is power, but yet we're not often able, willing to do work with the information is that it needs to be immediately in our faces at that particular moment. Um, and so I feel like there's a lot of people out there and especially when we've made a claim and i mean tim says he hasn't made a claim yet but again we're just hashing it out when you make a claim like i made um at the beginning and over the past couple of weeks that we've done this podcast is when you make a claim like this especially for us as americans it's insulting to say that no you can't read this and i'm not saying that you can't read it i'm saying that there are dangers to reading it without knowing information because i'd say that a majority of the population is not equipped enough to read the text and it hasn't been that way for a long period of time and also something to be said is even then there are a lot of pastors that are still not well equipped enough to read the text and fully understand it um there been it's it's going to be a long time coming and we've got a long way to grow, but the best way to grow is the same way that I tell my students the best way to get better at reading is to read and you need to look at other, you need to look at other sources and do all that kind of stuff and put in the work in order enough to be good enough, right? Like I can't just give my, I can't give a kid that I have tested and said reads at a third or fourth grade reading level, I cannot give them war and peace. They cannot read it and understand what it is that it's trying to say. I can't do it. And the same can be said about this text is that we are giving this to fifth, fourth grader, fifth, fourth grade reading comprehension on most people. And we're saying, read this. And so they read it, and I mean, one, no wonder they find it boring. Most people find it, I don't have time for the Bible, but really say what you really mean. <laughs> it's not a very, it's not a page turner, you know? Even when there are people are like, I get so much life from the Psalms. Do they actually understand what the psalmist is writing the Psalms about? No, that's a that's a episode coming up soon about the Psalms be, uh, and... <laughs> Christian music and how those are related because they're not <laughs> well they're not but they're not but I would argue they should be more than they are but anyway you need to read the book first I've read the book no you need no the book that I have oh that I'm read. 
Well, let's flesh out kind of, let's give, you kind of gave Old Testament examples of why this is a problem. And that's certainly the case. I mean, trying to, trying to read about Daniel. Well, the book of Daniel also has apocalyptic literature. That's what I mean. Yeah. Trying to read Daniel and, and understand it, particularly when those of us with a, like a ninth or 10th grade or a 12th grade or a higher, you know, a really quality level of education and reading level still aren't being really given a, a good description of what the of what that book is you're just told well it's you know everything in there's literal because everything's so i mean we've dealt with that from the beginning of this podcast. right but also the hard part is again also acknowledging that the book of daniel uh, the closest book that's related to it in the bible revelation is the last book which i've read 20 times and i could every time i read it i could Every time I read it, I will probably give you the opposite view of what I had the time I read it before. So those are the extremes. But you mentioned the Gospels. I think the Gospels... I do think the... the, I would hope that there's some sort of divine genius to at least major parts, the important, quote-unquote, important parts of the Bible to meet people where they're at. And so the Gospels... Are a good part of that, but we've talked about Jesus before and and how he deals with parables, no, and I, how he deals with and those are hard to grasp. Uh, there's a so I I think a really good example of so so what I talked about with the Jesus um, bit is there's a book out there I think it's really good to use this book as an analogy for the Gospels. Um, I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a little I think it's 91 pages. 91 pages, it has doodles in it. But yet, if we were to actually give it, um, and I think most reading levels will put it at about like a 6th or 5th grade reading level. Most evaluative. The book itself, in our district, before we went into a new program, was taught at 12th grade. 91 page book, doodles in it. It's called The Little Prince. Yeah. It's considered one of the greatest books, um, top 100 book lists of just something that, and I'd highly recommend most people on the podcast. It just deals with such huge concepts and uses so much metaphor and symbolism and figurative language that, yes, a sixth grader could read the book, but does the sixth grader understand all of the messages being presented? The answer is no. So yes, you could read the New Testament. You could read the the book, the four books of the Gospel. You could read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you could see that there's a storyline that goes through, and you could follow it, and you'd be like, "Oh, that was pretty good." But once you are able to understand all of the messages that Jesus, that is when that is what is the difference between the sixth grade and the twelfth grade understanding of the scriptures. And so that's where it's like you need to have those skills in order enough to understand. You have to develop it over time in order enough to really grasp at what it is that they're talking about throughout that. And that's what I would just say for that. So that's the Gospels. But let's be honest. I have no idea, but I would I would imagine half the time spent on a Sunday is spent on the in the seven Pauline books. The epistles. The epistles. Wow, you said seven. You weren't going with the thirteen there. It's debatable, but yeah, the seven, whatever. And one of those is Romans, which is arguably an Aristotelian philosophical treatise. 
that one could argue is essential to the Western world as much as Aristotle and any other Greek philosophy is in whether you're a believer or not, your worldview is in, is informed in that book of Romans. But Romans is an extremely high level of reading. But that is one of the books you were first pushed to after you've kind of got the whole Jesus story down. Right, you did Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke then leads into Acts. So then you got the the weirdness of John. But like I said, a lot of people like John. And then you have Acts and you're like, it's it's the Old Testament all over again. Because you go Genesis, right. Exodus, and then you're like, oh, I mean, the second half of Exodus is the law. Right. And then you're like, wow, that was great. You're like, I just flew through 75 chapters of the Bible. You're like, man, that was good. You feel good about it. Yep. You're like putting up. And I then you go to law school. Yeah. And then you go to law for the next three books and you just hit a slam. And so it, very similar. So you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And you're like, wow, that was easy. Like people said, read your Bible. Heck yeah. And then you get to Romans and then just like, it's like going to law school again. You're getting a very highly educated man um, beginning to talk at you, and you're just like... And also, it's in an... <laughs> I mean, unless you're reading the the Message Bible, it's not very accessible language. No, it's very... It's very... It's written... It is written as a Greek philosophical treatise. Right, and then... It I, is written in the way... Aristotle or one of the other Greek philosophers, Roman philosophers, would have written a letter to a group of uh, or a book. Yeah, and then people are like, and then people want to do it on hard mode, like you know you can choose hard mode, and so they get the new King James version. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's like, okay, so you you wanted to make the hard, you wanted to make the difficult reading even more difficult. So now we're gonna put it in Shakespearean language and just make it that much more fun for us. So, and, like, that's just the hard part about this is just, again. Okay, so I'm going to start, I'm going to throw out a couple wacky ideas. Sure. To maybe help mitigate this problem, because I do think it is a problem, and I think the church needs to start accepting this is a problem and not just say, figure it out. And I say also be open to some kooky ideas. So I'm going to, the first one I'm going to throw at everybody is... We talked about what was there before the Bible, the Bible as we know it. Well, there was this thing that floated around in Christianity before the Bible called the didache or the didache. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's a Greek word, which means the teaching. Yeah. And it's also known as the Lord's teaching through the 12 apostles to the nations. It was written anonymously. It was known in the Christian world because it was referenced by all the early church father, fathers in their writings, but we didn't have a copy of this thing until the 1800s when a Greek version was found, and then I think two other versions in Latin were found in the 1800s and early and 1900s. So now we have this thing. Again, written anonymously, but it is believed to have been written around 70 AD, so very early within the church. And this thing was passed around arguably, I'm going to say this crudely, as an early Bible. This was a manual for a group of believers to agree around what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to read some of this this thing. 
Yeah, just religiously. It was just something to practice. It was a, it was a document passed passed around to engage in your religious, uh, with like in, religious instruction, so to speak. So very similar to uh, what we would consider a, a Bible. So yeah. So chapter one. There are two ways: one of life and one of death. And there is a great difference between the two ways. The way of life is this: first of all, thou shalt love the God that made thee. Hmm. What well, that sounds familiar. Secondly. Thy neighbor as thyself. Hmm, that's familiar. And all things, whatever... Oh, boy. Let me find... I'm reading from the King James the Version. The King James Version. Let me... I had a, a modern translation. Let me read that one. Also, I did say that there's hard mode and there's easy mode. If you would like to know the what the two colleges that... I've been to the standard or the version that they want you to read um, would be the NRSV, which is the new revised standard version. Um, That's what they ask you to get for your study Bibles and those types of things. Um, So if that's something that you guys would, uh, there's, there's arguments over why that's the particular Bible that they choose. And there's just, it's the most current, one that is the most accurate representation of the language. Uh, I mean, like, there's a couple that are, like, really accurate, like, to the Greek and that kind of stuff, and those are... But the NRSV is uh, usually what they'll ask you to get. So just recommendations. Okay, you ready? Yeah, and I'm going to put a link to this. I encourage everyone to to read this, because I do... I had forgotten about this, and when I discovered it, I was frustrated that we don't... I, I think this little document... Is significant, and as I can, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But as I continue to read, I'm going to read something and then compare it where it is in the Bible. And again, I'm reminding everyone: this is either written before or at the time the Bible is being written. So this is reinforcing what we read as what Jesus said. As I keep continue to go, you're going to find that a lot of this is taken from the Beatitudes, from the Sermon on the Mount, and other parts of the what we would say redline portions of our Bible of, of our New Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not do anything to another that you would not want to do to yourself. Now, one of these words, the doctrine is this: Blessed those who curse you, pray for your enemies, and fast for those who persecute you. For, for what thanks uh, do you deserve if you love them that love you? Do not even the Gentiles do the same, but to do so, but to love those who hate you and uh, you, w- but do love those who hate you and you will not have an enemy. Abstain from fleshly and bodily lusts. If a man give you a blow on your right cheek, turn the other one to him and you will be flawless. If a man compel you to go one mile, with him, go to with him. I'll skip ahead to chapter 2. And this is the second commandment of the teaching. You shall not not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Now we're doing the Ten Commandments, basically, with a few interesting ad- additions. You shall not corrupt boys. I'm going to stop there. Why is not corrupt boys in there? Because it was well-known Roman, uh, Greco-Roman practice for men, uh, particularly of money, to have their way with young boys. So the church early on is saying, yeah, that's not that's not permitted. Uh, you shall not commit fornication. You shall not steal. You shall not deal in magic. You shall do no sorcery. You shall not murder a child by abortion or kill them when born. Interesting. 
You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's goods. You shall not purge yourself. Blah, 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 blah. So there are six, seven, 16 chapters. It goes on to deal with how to deal with the body and death and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, why do I bring this up? It's a religious text. It's a religious text. I, nothing I've read ever questions the veracity or the... There's nothing in there that's blasphemous. There's nothing that's out, out of line with either what the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, whatever. There's nothing in there that's out of line with what is deemed to be doctrine or, do, or dogma of the Church, correct? Yeah, no. Why don't we hand out something like this in addition to the Bible? And again, written in an accessible way. There's probably even more accessible than the way I, I'm, one I'm reading from. To distill, uh, what does it mean to be, you know, what are the basics of being a Jesus follower? Because I'm then, thinking out loud. No, you're fine. I, because the problem is, I'll, you throw a big book with 66 books in it. Where is the reading manual for so I can get down to what what does it mean for me to be a follower of Jesus? And then we can start working on over well over time of understanding creation and understanding how God's been viewed by humanity over the millennia, et cetera, et cetera. Because nobody wants a rule book. Okay, so you, you, you think this is a rule book? Well, I mean, okay, so like if we were to just, if we were to compile things down and we made a Jehovah's Witness packet for the gist to hand out to our congregations, we say what? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He resurrected. He has promised you eternal life. These are the things that these are the things that have been promised to you. These are the things that he wants you to do. And we hand that out to people. <laughs> Is that not like a Jehovah's Witness packet? I don't know. <laughs> I. But people don't want the rules, right? That's. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. This is coming from somebody where we talked about whether or not universalism was a po- was a possibility. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I think. Okay, I, so that spitball idea doesn't work. No, I mean, I, I'm thinking. I don't think it's wrong to sit there and say like, "Hey, these are the right." And the, and what that was was we don't have the scripture. Why? Because we can't we can't replicate. We don't have the capabilities of just like everyone just writing down. Like we go to Ephesus and we just write that we ask to see the letter and we just sit there and we write it all down. And then remember, paper is not like people that wrote is not was not something common. Like it, it's right. such a weird concept for people in our day and age to do to wrap their brains around the fact that not that people didn't write because you were forced to write from a very young age. And that's how it is because you have had access to all of these things and. Paper was expensive. Ink was expensive. It was something that only certain people did. And then you also had to have the education or enough to write and to read back then during these days. And so for us to sit there and say, like, again, for them to have one of these documents, that was probably like a huge thing. There were probably lots of churches that didn't have this document. But that document was like, okay, we need the gist. And they were like, okay, here's the gist. And so that's what they wrote down, and that's what they got. And so that what they got was a gist Bible. Well, and to be fair, this is uh, from my, I'm, uh, 
if somebody knows about this better than I do listening about it from all of my research, it seems that this was most likely written in what we would, what we would call the Jewish part of the church. So this is the part of the church where, right. It's about religious practice. It's still religious practices. Right. And we're not dealing with the pure, purely Gentile part of the church that Paul is kind of dealing with where they're trying to feel things more out. So, I guess what I would say is, it doesn't have to be this, but is is <laughs> I think we we go around. Well, look, tens of thousands of books are written every year about the Bible, so it's not like we're not writing new books about Christianity and the Bible. So, but sometimes I we've settled on these sixty six books, and it's as if they're not supposed to be touched at all in any way, and they only have to be kept the way they are. And look, I understand. There, there's a delicacy, a delicate matter there, because if you start just pulling stuff out, then um, the domino effect. Correct. But I, I don't. I wonder if in the 21st century there's a, a way of not. Again, we're not replacing the Bible, but doing a better job distilling what the gospel is. And maybe someone's listening and saying, "Yes, yeah, so and so has written a book, and they do exactly that." And you. <laughs> But distilling the Bible itself into something that then leads one to read the Bible once one has the ability to read the Bible better. Yeah, I just – I think what is something that's important that people that are listening to this podcast really need to do, and I highly recommend this to everyone, um, is that when you, when you look at your faith and you look back on your faith – I want you to identify whether it is Jesus-centered or whether or not it is Bible-centered and really understand what that means as to where the divine authority that you get from your life is it from the relationship that you have built with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that this is... Now, also, this is kind of like a weird thing where people are like, well, we only know who Jesus is through the scriptures. And you're like, "Um, yes. So we see God's full relevance revelation of who he is in Jesus Christ. And so we see that through the scriptures, so therefore you will need to read it, but also understand that the Bible is a historical document written by the flaws of mankind, um, to where there are mistakes littered throughout it on regular occasions. And understanding that we need to be able to sit there and say, yeah, even with its mistakes, I still recognize God and Jesus as my divine authority, not the scriptures as my divine authority. I see this message and this passion that Jesus Christ has poured out for his people and for the people that he loves. And so therefore, I'm about that and I'm about that message and that vision. And so that is what we become a part of right there. And that's huge to again say that that is what we're about and that's what we want um, for ourselves as opposed to just being about the Bible, um, so to speak, and recognizing it from there. So I highly recommend taking an evaluation and just know which one you are on whether or not you view the Bible as your divine authority or if you view Jesus as your divine authority. I know that that seems like a trap, but honestly evaluate it because you're like, no, the Bible says like Jesus has to be the divine authority. And so it's like, well, yes, but then make sure that that's how you feel. 
um, that it's ultimately the revelation of Jesus' character, which we do get from the Bible, so we do have to recognize the truth in that. But is that the be-all, say-all for your relationship and your understanding of Jesus Christ? Is that that should be what tells us what to do more than the scriptures. Not that they don't go hand in hand and that they don't have their thing, but understanding who Jesus is and then being able to walk with that is the significantly more important part than the part where it's like, I need to get everything from the scriptures. Does that make sense? Did I explain that well enough or no? I think you're getting back to what we were struggling with on that Word of God, What's the Word of God podcast, where I was raising the same question of, we've kind of distilled the Word of God as just being basically what the Bible says. And then, you know, if the Holy Spirit kind of speaks with you through something, then that's fine too. And and how I was kind of chafing at that being the limitation of what the Word of God is. Right, and so we found that that is where you should have your faith. Your faith should swing on the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. And yes, I understand that, again, it's founded based through the Scripture, but then being able to take that out and run with that, and not and continually going back to the scripture and referencing it, so that way, again, you don't lose your vision of who Jesus Christ actually is, and you don't make Jesus into your own image, kind of thing. That's important, but understanding that 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 is how we have to live as twenty first century is that we have all this information, that kind of stuff. Now, if you are the type that wants the scriptures and you want to get as much out of it as you possibly can, that is where I highly recommend that you you train yourself or you get you go to school and you get information on how to best read it and how to best thoroughly equip yourself to be able to answer some of those questions. Don't expect it from your pastor on a Sunday because out of a large majority of churches that I've seen, they don't teach you how to read your scriptures. And so whatever it is that they say, that's what you have to take as the message. And that could be true or it could be not. And so that's where it's difficult. And that's why, honestly, a lot of uh, pastors as well, they tend to just give you some sort of uplifting message and not really get too deep into what the scripture actually means or what it says, because it's easiest to just give you some sort of uplifting message at the end of it. Sure. It's very easy hanging fruit. Something to evaluate for the next time. So I'm going to flip this on its head. Sure. I'm going to wrap this up by flipping it on its head and then tying that into a suggestion. And it's a big pic, very, very big picture crazy suggestion but it's troubling to have people read the bible with a certain level of reading ability yeah what i'm going to flip around on that is the bible's always been indispensable but as we're now entering a unique period of time because of the technology that we've injected into humanity we less and less have a collective culture that humanity and i'm going to say humanity but let's we all know we're talking about western society that collective culture that collective history that western society has is now disintegrating if not already disintegrated which has led to a lot of the craziness that we see in our culture 
and I'm going to say both on the left and the right, because we less and less have a historical background on who we are and who we were and what we did and where we're going. To which that to which I say, even though we are saying it is probably troublesome for a less and less reading level, a, a, a culture with a, a lowering reading level to read the Bible, the Bible is becoming, I would say, more important to read as a believer. So my crazy idea is we have all these churches, church buildings that we're sitting on, right? And a lot of them less and less are being used, particularly classrooms, where we once had, we had little classrooms teeming with children and junior high and high school kids. What if the church makes its its mission to teach people how to read? I don't know. What would happen? Because the church at its best met the needs of society. And this wouldn't be done with, it wouldn't be with strings in hand. Yeah. If if, if we do it that way where it's some transactional thing, then it's not going to work. But again, I can think of seven different churches off the top of my head right now that are sitting on facilities that were one time very useful 10, 15, 20 years ago and are going largely unused. And everyone is screaming about education being a problem in this country, let alone just literacy. Yeah. And I'm not saying the church should solve the entire education problem. One could start with... As the church met the needs of Rome when disease was ravaging through it, the church may be pivoting towards, we're the early church. We're back to being the early church. We need to meet the needs of the society where it is, and that might be teaching people how to read better. Right. And yeah, our hope that is in the long run that by teaching this El Salvadorian or this Angolan family who's come here who doesn't understand English, that if they see the generosity of people who are perfect strangers to them, teaching them how to read, they're going to say, these Christians are different. Yeah. Just like people in Rome said, yeah, all these crazy people that I was told about by Nero and all of the other elites of Rome, they're not crazy at all. Yeah, they are crazy. They're so crazy that they're willing to die and attend to my physical needs, even though they might die from this plague that's ravaging through the country. Right. It's a crazy idea. But I think those are the kind of crazy ideas the church is going to have to start. Look, the genesis of this podcast is people leaving the church. Yeah. It is. And we will continue to tell people to go to hell and criticize Christians for stupid things they say, that will be an ongoing thing. But one of the things the church needs to do is stop twiddling its thumbs and writing articles about people leaving the church and start reimagining and reinventing the church to meet the needs of what the culture needs now. And we are still operating as if this is 1950 leave it to beavers world leave it to beaver world where everyone has a general understanding of let's say all of the major 
stories of the Old Testament, there's this cultural idea, you know, one knows who Jonah is, one knows who David is, one knows who Samson. Look, I was listening to a podcast this week, and someone made the reference of sacrificial lamb, and this 47-year-old on the podcast, who's not a dummy, laughed, and the guy said, why are you laughing? He goes, I've never heard that before. I am one who says all the time, we don't live in a, we live in a post-Christian society. Even that stunned me. That that part of the vernacular, which <laughs> was fundamental to the English, well, not only not English, the Christian world, whether it be German, Latin, English, even, whatever. But I mean, like the hard part on that one is like that's not even that's that's not even necessarily Christian. Like you know, like the sac- like sacrificial like. Sacrificing your animals I know, but for whatever. The, but I know, that, that, I know, that's I how far out of removed we are. That someone's like, "What is? That? I don't even know what that is." Well, my thing is, is just continuing and just to put a a thing on it for anybody that's listening to this. I think that really what we're getting to is yes, I understand that every single Sunday that we're going out there and based off of the our target audience or whatever on a church service, what we are trying to bring in is we're trying to bring people in and, and teaching them how to read is not how you bring them in. No. I'm fully well aware. Of no. That. But I'm saying that if you've been a Christian for 10 years and you are feeling stagnant in your faith, just know that there is a way that you can elevate your understanding of God and the Bible and it's called learning how to read it so go out and learn how to read it that's how you're going to elevate it instead of just sitting there and being like i'm going to church every single sunday and i'm not getting anything out and i need and you know i understand that there's a big push to get you to volunteer and that's the best way to cure that for you because you know that's what churches push because they need volunteers which i don't blame them for needing and that kind of stuff but there is something that you need to do personally to where you need to be growing and it's elevate your understanding of the scriptures and that will ultimately benefit you and whatever it is that you – and it will change and open so many more doors to where it's almost very similar to what we talked about at the beginning where we said we think that we know everything. You think a majority of people, even I think or did think because it's not that way anymore, that we know everything when it comes to the scriptures. It's there. It's a 2,000-year-old document. We know everything. Once you learn how to read it and you start understanding the historical context and you understand, like, there's probably things that Tim told you tonight or maybe I told you, you're like, I've never heard that before. Uh, Every year I I pass on this earth, the less I understand. It will blow your mind how much about the Bible and that ancient part of the world that's 2,000 years old. We don't know. Let's – we'll wrap this up because there's probably – Gilbert's probably listening to this one like, oh, you're talking about this way too much. Who cares? It's Bible study, Gilbert. I know. Get over it. Uh, <laughs> now he's going to be like, I didn't say... Uh, okay. <laughs> Here's what we mean by that. The Bible is not... Look, it... it I don't want to... I don't want someone listening to this who doesn't know the Bible to be completely scared. The Bible... As Colton said, you will get... what Whatever you put into it, you will get out of it. The reason why I say the older I get the less I understand. It's not because... It's because the older I get, the more I understand kind of what Colton's been talking about, which is I the, more, the older I get, the more I understand that I have not been properly told what this book is about. 
And as the more I learn what this book is really about, the more I figure out, oh, I had this wrong. I had that wrong. Early part of this podcast and a common theme on this, which is not popular amongst many Christian circles, most Christian circles probably, is Colton and I look at the Old Testament not as a literal view of history. This is not a book that is telling the history of the Israelite nation in ancient Middle East. It is better understood as humans doing their best in an ancient context, and that's important because in the ancient context in literally every society said, when good things happen, God does it, and when bad things do it, it's because God's angry. That is, that doesn't matter what God you're list, you're following, whether you li- you're following a monolithic God or a pantheon of, a pantheon of gods. The the Old Testament is written the same way the Romans looked at the the, Gre- the Greeks looked at it, the Babylonians. It is looked at as I do again. I do bad. God punish. I do good. God praise. Uh, and my enemies are, are punished. And so we have these tensions, like what we brought up in BuzzFeed episode, where you have a significant part of the church still stand up on a Sunday and say, see, when God is pissed at the nation over abortion, it will punish us with 9-11. It will punish us with a hurricane. It will punish us with a, a crazy man uh, murdering uh guy with a gun in Las Vegas. And just so we're clear, where people get that from, like, again, let's, I'm not going to act or wreck or say that that doesn't exist in scripture. Well, it absolutely exists. Right. Isaiah is in the street naked for two years, which again, understanding Jewish culture and understanding that you don't get naked. Like, especially back then, like that, that was shameful, like all around. And this is the prophet. He gets naked and is just, is a crazy person just yelling at the people saying, repent from your ways or you will be more naked than me. What will come will strip you of this. And so the, the pastors feel like they're Isaiah out there. They're like, this is a result of our actions. I read from Isaiah last night. Right. And, you know, it's so I don't want to act like that's not there. And it's absolutely there. And I think that there's a good way to answer that and for you to see that where that comes from. But again, I think that that comes from a deeper understanding of what is going what is actually happening in the Bible. As long as you're being we'll, we'll wrap it up with this. We could have probably saved everybody an hour. Yeah, whatever. As long as you are reading this, as long as you're reading that Bible from every little, every word is literally inspired by God, basically written by God, and you're going to spend your life confused, frustrated, and some of you, including people very close to me, are going to walk away from the faith because they can't square that 2 plus 2 equals 5 when when what they're being told is 2 plus 2 equals 5. And very clearly, that doesn't work. Because we've been given bad quote-unquote math by the church and just shut up. And I know that 
what you see in front of you is four things, but believe me, it's actually five. So the math works. So we will we'll put together a list. We'll put it out on Twitter and the Substack, and on we'll do we'll do a separate post of things to read to help people get jump started on how to really start looking at the Bible and read it better. Thanks for listening to part one of this Go to Hell podcast. Post your comments, questions, criticisms, or an invitation to Hades at gotohellpodcast.substack.com. Hit us up at Twitter at the Go to Hell Pod and Instagram at Go to Hell Pod. Email us at Tim at gotohellpodcast.com or Colton at gotohellpodcast.com. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review so others can go to hell.